Enlightenment of Rivers and Grass, page 121. Long, the Loan for Catastrophe. Within nothingness, there's a road. Wuman Huakai. <clears throat> Winter has stripped us down. We leap into nothingness and the spring comes out, comes crashing out. A benign catastrophe in which the beauty of the world assails us and is victorious. The organizing constraint of the personality, which psychologists call the ego, falls away and we soar or spread out or all overwhelmed. According to our abilities and to the rigor of our pre preparation, <clears throat> I'm lost. Oh, okay. And then you keep reading? No, 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 that's fine. Okay. The experience of the mystery and the emptiness of life is a disturbing gift. We are in the predicament of Alice, who, in order to get anywhere in the garden of live flowers, must head in the opposite direction. We are consoled because we lose ourselves along with our common burdens. In this, awakening is near to love and to that deep suffering that can disclose an unforeseen sweetness. The wreck of the old life opens the new. Even when the wreckage has been dire, our pains themselves can become transformed. They are taken up into the vivid story of the new life and in this talismanic guise will never be forgotten. We wake because we have been discontented with the cramped ghostly air of the lives we have been given. We want something greater than ourselves. <laughs> we want to be loyal to life's promise. We have arrived at the edge of spring by stripping ourselves down like El Greco saints who have shed many colors and qualities so that their bodies and even the cliffs of Toledo have elongated, stretching to be closer to heaven. Have elongated, stretching to be closer to heaven. No, Cody, you're muted. Okay. This work of simpl simplification has been in part painful and in part exhilarating. Our weaknesses and delusions, after all, gives us shape. So when in spiritual work, we lose our talent for being comforted by outer things, the gleam of a new car, the admiration of our peers, we grow more bare. <clears throat> more passionately poor, and that is how we arrive, shivering and naked at the winter place. But spiritual preparation has also given us the capacity to be terrified without flinching. Then we do feel something letting go. I am pecking from inside. Won't you peck from the outside? A Chinese pilgrim asked his teacher a thousand years ago. Every experience we have is an example of the universe pecking. Apparently, randomly, apparently randomly, from without, an opportunity to wake up. Another traditional story shows a series of these pecks. So do you think even when we're sick, the universe is pecking? It doesn't have to be an outer thing, does it? Uh, I would, I would think so, um, that the universe, even when we're sick, that the universe is pecking because the universe wouldn't really, <clears throat> the universe is the universe. It really wouldn't matter if we're sick or well or whatever. No, what it I just, mean is our sickness would be like the universe pecking. Yeah. Okay, Emily. 
uh, Yuan Wu Kechin was proud of his spiritual knowledge, but was rebuffed by his teacher, who said that his understanding was not yet valuable, that he was still blown about by the wind. Yuan Wu left in a huff, but as he walked out, the teacher said, remember me when you are sick with fever. Years passed. Indeed, one day, Yuan Wu did become seriously ill. And when he recovered, he came back to his old mentor, who quoted a popular song. She calls to her serving girl, Little Jade, not because she wants something, but just so her lover will hear her voice. When the teacher said, that is very like Zen, Yuan Wu awakened. The ancient human disaffection with creation, the sense of being outside the garden of life, dissolved for him. And everywhere around, he heard the world calling just for him. But we ask ourselves, at what moment did the world peck from the outside? When his teacher confronted him? When he caught a fever? When he heard an old song? It seems that our lives are full of these pecks. Catalysts. Of course, they're not pecks, are they? In the sense that there's no intentionality of the universe to do anything to us. You know, it just pecks in the way that we're responding. Or you don't agree? Mm, hard to say. We peck and we're part of the universe. So maybe the universe pecks back. Well, you're giving it uh, intention. Yeah. What do you think, Cody? I, I mean, honestly, I think it just, I can't, it's kind of hard to say, like not really do what it does, but um I mean, it's the universe. It's, it's there. So it, whatever the universe uh, says, that that's what goes. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's I can't say like it's already written, but it's uh, it just it just is. I mean, we see the fl like a flooding as this, you know. Oh no, it's flooding! But to the universe, there's no. Um, anger there it doesn't want to you know trouble us there's no intention to do that i don't think <coughs> catalyst for spring to occur something needs to appear a blossom breaking out on a black branch a daffodil opening its yellow throat enlightenment too enters our lives with a catalyzing event eternity appears through the world of form the, if, uh, <laughs> how do you say that word? Evanescent. Evanescence uh, and potent realm of our actual lives. It comes always in embodiment as a particular thing that appears hugely in the vast space that meditation has uncovered. An object, a movement of the mind, our mind or the great mind, appears and takes up all the view <coughs> as his teacher's words did for Wan Wu. A particular thing, the thing that stands for the world, reaches out and seizes us as Cupid flew down and picked up the prostate psyche after she had opened the treacherous box of sleep. Here is a story of this seizing. As <laughs> <coughs> a story in which the catalyst is splendidly commonplace. The account is by a woman who had started to crack open, as she called it, at the same time as she happened to become physically ill. I couldn't drive myself and I asked to be driven into the Zen center. 
I looked into the eyes of one of the priests there and I fell into his eyes. It seemed as if an eggshell was cracking around me. Then we were driving home and I was in the passenger seat listening to the radio. And this was fantastic. An ad for an old TV melodrama like Dynasty came on. A woman's voice said, if I can't have him, Jessica, nobody can. And then there were gunshots. Bang, 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 bang. That was it for me. The freeway turned into a river of light. Everything was a wave coming out of that light. Each individual thing. I saw that all being is the ocean of that light. Or it is as if there is a great hand and all things are the fingers of that hand. Everything was lit from within and glowing. The light was thick and viscous. The air was thick with it. It was an ugly part of town and a stupid ad, but the ugliness fell away and everything, freeway and warehouses, trees and sky was all equally beautiful. It changed how I saw Fairfax Avenue forever. In the end, the long sought change comes involuntarily as an intrusion of eternity. Our hope and labor alone cannot make it happen, though hope and labor prepares. Awakening requires also the cooperation of the world. The freeway, the grubbly neighborhood, we must have for our spiritual company all the ordinary shapes of life. So that I guess I guess uh, that first sentence uh, in the end, uh, the long sought change comes involuntarily. Like when we mentioned the uh, the universe, I, I guess that was kind of like where I was trying to go with it. Like it, it's it's kind of like not really like the path is already set for us, but kind of like it is. It, I, I don't know. It's it's kind of hard to explain. We, we often don't react as if it's involuntary. We think that it has some will to, to get us. Go on, Emily. Uh, I think uh, Ramdas refers to it as everything is as it should be. That makes perfect sense. I'm not sure what that means. I mean, I've heard that, but I, I'm, not, I'm still not. Sure, should be. Um, I mean, uh, Suzuki Roshi says, you know, you're perfect just as you are, and you could, you could extend that to the universe is perfect just as it is, which would yeah. be a, a similar. Right. For all its, um, for all its beauty and all its horror, everything is the way it's supposed to be. That's that's a theory. You know, that's that's some hard stuff to explain or try to explain. Or you know, I don't know. Especially when something terrible happens to someone. Yeah. Yeah. It's a hard thing to. I mean, you must have to explain to parents that their kid is deaf, right? Yeah, I certainly yeah. don't use yeah. the term. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, uh, who's reading now? It's on Emily, I believe. Yeah, Emily. Okay. Here is another account of the way the commonplace can seize us. This time coming to a man alone in a room, not doing anything in particular. I was sitting in my apartment and looking at the radio dial when I merged with it. That's not quite the way to put it. It wasn't that I fell into the thing. It came to me. It became me. I saw the way everything arises each second from its source, all of the universe coming into being and linked to everything else. When we experience any one thing to the depths of our being, then the universe opens itself to us. We can see who we are and what our part is in the drama. 
Kon Yama, Yamada, the modern Japanese teacher, maybe it's Kun, liked to say that enlightenment is the dropping away of the self in the act of uniting with something. This intense focus is a mark that at such a moment, while soul is indeed nearby, spirit now predominates. When we fall into one object, we are confined severely in its single narrow passage from which we emerge <coughs> into vastness. <coughs> One thing before the eyes. The catalyst awakens us. Instantly, it fills our sight. When we have emptied our minds and hearts of passing things, we have emptied life entirely. This taste is the spirit's flavorless flavor, like snow melting in the mouth. Then we find that we have merely become impartial and life returns to us the more breathtaking sense less of our small selves is painted upon it. The woman mentioned above, who had fallen into grieving for her ch childhood, her father, life, described the effects of her initi initiatory weeping. Her tears had, in Blake's phrase, cleansed the doors of her perception. And after they had finished, she began to walk about the retreat grounds, looking at the reeds and the bay. I was picking up rubbish on the, on the trails. I don't know where the tears went. They were just gone. But I could see this rubbish as having its own value, like everything else on earth. I found a flattened beer can, and it was the most beautiful thing. I took it into an interview with, with my teacher and put it on the altar because it belonged there. For her, at that moment, the discarded metal was life itself, the goal of her journey achieved. What she had longed for was available all along, contained in even the most crumpled, dusty form. In such an encounter, the dark, disordered stuff of matter has become sacred. It is as if a summer pear, a summer green pear tree appeared in a level snowfield. Whatever we meet is wholly remarkable and absorbing. The light faint touch of emptiness appears as the boundless within which all objects and emotions are afloat. The world seems remarkably uncluttered like a vermeer in which the jumble of sustaining things, the platters and jugs and brushes that would have surrounded a Dutch person of his time is reduced to one or two. The balance scales a woman holds up, the pearl in the girl's ear, her gaze resting upon ours as she turns, all seem to step forward to approach us. There is space for the objects of our regard to rise and endure in the moment. A Chinese Zen student of some thousand years ago described how <laughs> we persevere in the journey until we see clarity of the eternal world as vividly as, as if what is before us were the one thing. He tells how he studied alongside Gu Shan, one of the great teachers of the Tang Dynasty's golden age. I live with Gu Shan, more than 30 years, I ate Gushan's food, I, I shat Gushan's shit, but I did not study Gushan's Zen. All I did was look after an ox. If he got off the road, I dragged him back. If he trampled the grain in others' fields, I trained him by flogging him with a whip. For a long time, how pitiful he was at the mercy of everyone's words. Now he has changed into the white ox on the bare ground and always stands in front of my face. All day long, he clearly reveals himself. Even if I chase him, he doesn't go away. Chan Quinn 
done. The most vivid experiences are always the consequence of others less vivid, of a readiness that has accumulated. <clears throat> but at the moment of vividness, the pains of the journey seem small. The one thing before us is all that has ever existed. The white ox of heart and mind, just as they are, of the world just as it is, stands before us on the plowed earth. We see our own nature and the universe's nature as precisely the same. This dazzles us, shows us our home and gives us joy. <clears throat> a peach blossom or two. Just a second. One spring day, 1200 years ago, an old Chinese master called Lingjing Jiquin was walking along. He had meditated for a long time and grown absorbed in that life. Summers of heat and dust, freezing winters had passed over him. Then he rounded a bend and was amazed by peach blossoms on the opposite hill. The shock of that flower, that tree and flower, awakened him. It was <laughs> the custom to write a verse on such an occasion, and his words went, For 30 years I sought a, ma sought a master swordsman. How many times the leaves fell, the branches burst into bud. But from the moment I saw the peach blossoms, I have had no doubts. Um, in any initiation, sacrifice plays a part. A sharp blade is needed to amputate the old life. Here, the sword was peach blossoms. The shock of their color and flutter cleared up Ling Yun's uncertainty. His spring occurred during the ninth century in China. That branch was still in bloom in the 14th century in Japan, when a teacher called Kaizen Jokin wrote, the village peach trees were not aware of their own crimson, yet still they freed Ling Yun from all his doubts. These blossoms stick to the memory as to our hair to the wet sleeves of our coats <coughs> on a blustering day. They are entirely themselves fragile and brave, and they make the world so transparent about us that we join them, we become them. The blossoms are something small that allows us to enter the present moment without regret. The stark absolute nature of the catalyst, the one complete thing, <laughs> in the world opens outward so that the city street with its buildings, people, and cars spills its brightness all about. The spirit, pure and austere, begins to meet the soul so full of multiplicity. A man falls in love with a woman, not just because of her beauty or learning, but because of the tenderness she gives to frivolous things. The slight, this, the slight rapac rapacity with which she leans towards a cup of coffee, the curve of her arm holding the New York Times, he finds this a relief. He recognizes the gesture. He has fallen in love with the intelligence of her soul and of the world that imagines such a being. The world that endows such a small moment with an enduring glow. The old Chinese sage too has fallen in love, but fallen in love, been led simultaneously further into the world and beyond it. The tree overtook him and the moment is still bright today. As the plum trees are opening into rain showers outside my window in Northern California. People have come to awakening through hearing a flute on a beach during a war, through breaking a leg by catching it in an iron gate, 
Still, Ling Yun's peach blossoms are especially endearing for the bright cloudy associations around them. They come so briefly after the underworld time of winter, out of a stillness in which not much seems to be happening. They hold also the excitement and frailty of being human and the bright largesse of certain moments, the red of a glass of wine, the dancer's many-folded skirt, the space between hay hill and sky at twilight, the intricate cantata-like progression of sorrow and laughter. When we look into our true experience of the world, we always come to a strange tuness. As humans, we are more fragile than we can bear to know, buffeted by war and earthquake and also by the endless risings from within, by obsessions and longings, fear and anger. Yet at the same time, eternity presses itself upon us continually. It is near the way the hillside we stand on is near, forgotten, enormous, <coughs> the source of nourishment and rest, thrusting up the grass spheres where we lie down at ease. Both truths are always applicable. Spirit brings its everlasting radiance and soul brings us, helps us to receive the spirit's overwhelming gift. You know, uh, I uh, I walk um, from my building at work to my car in the garage, and it is very easy to see the beauty of life um, in the little weeds and plants that grow on my walk into the garage. Um, and reading this kind of makes me think that even in the garage, in the darkness, and the the smell of the cars even their beauty can be found if I'm open to it. Um, and it struck me as we were reading this, that life is, the abundance of life is everywhere if we look. That's kind of a thought that arose. We certainly can see it in anything or not. Now, I remember once what my teacher was talking about a photographic trip that he made with a friend and the friend kept saying, you know, there's nothing to photograph. There's nothing to photograph. And my teacher was making one photograph after another and they were, they were in the exact same place. Any authentic opening of mind embraces the greatness and smallness of who we are. Old Lingyan met the flowers with this whole being and this encounter was so strong that we can enter it still. Image and poem carry it down to us. And when we see it ablaze across the valley, no time has passed. Yet this experience happens entirely within every within the everyday. Around the corner and the northwest the northwesterly winds fling a few wet petals onto my chest. I get a cold and sneeze. We awaken to the extraordinary in our lives and the common flow does not change. We have our rhythm. We work, eat, drink, and talk together into the night. The catalyst becomes the only thing in the world, blossom or radio dial. Then we recollect, then we recollect the eternal, the hillside we stand upon and the source of blossoms and radio dials and cars and showers of rain among sun shafts. In our awakening, when the spirit is to the fore, what overtakes us, what shakes us till we wake? It's stark, stark, pristine as a beech forest and unarguably, blessedly real. Seen in the soul's light, eternity is voluptuous in an endless fusion with delight. 
Narcissus and daffodils spill from her arms. So with just one thing appearing in the desolate space of the universe, spring comes. But spring is not just one thing. <laughs> the white ox is the spirit's animal. For the soul, spring appears as the goddess of forms and multiplicity. As Botticelli's Primavera, who has flowers in her hair and on her dress, and is herself a kind of gorgeous bloom. Spring comes with a tumble of flowers. Its joy is not the only thing, but it is one of the great things to have a human form and to know utter happiness. Our joy is unsummoned and comes out of the plainness of the empty universe. It seems impossible that there could ever be anything at all any form, any movement. And then suddenly flowers burst and buds burst. Clouds scud and birds hurry with twigs. At last we have at home, we are at home in this flutter and activity an ascending song, a life without intermediate veils. The soul inhales the ticklish air, the overwhelming riches of the spring may lead some people to reflect whether winter in its simplicity might not have been less confusing. But we have no choice. Once we have abandoned the spacious equanimity of winter, we are flung into the world of intense particulars, each exact and brilliant. Joy is a forceful argument. And in any event, we cannot go back to our old house, which seems so cramped and dark now. And its furniture, like the trophies of childhood, with the gold tone coating half rubbed off. It is such relief to be free, to love what is before us, to welcome life without reservation. It is said that after his own enlightenment, Kun Yamada went to an interview with Hakun Yatsasani and could not speak. He collapsed into his teacher's lap, sobbing with joy. Yasutoni patted him on the back saying, yes, yes, I know. Ordinariness. Awakening rearranges our perspective so that we see the great background of which we are a part. In fact, it is nearer even than that. We find that we are both the great background and the foreground that is its only expression. We see the eddies in eternity made by our hands as they go about, unbolting the black streaked valve cover on an engine, lifting a vine tendril full of grapes, The clarity of view is a feature even stronger than joy. The white ox stands on the bare ground <coughs> in simplicity without motives. Everything is clear in the vertical light of noon, overshadowed, undoubtable. We understand that our true nature has always been visible, but that we receive its blessings without seeing their source. Clarity reveals ordinariness. When everything else has been taken away, what is natural remains? The bent ear dough, the power pole, the man leaning on the open door of his truck to cough appear in their primeval force as if nothing had existed before. Here's the voice of a woman suddenly struck by the freshness of, and modesty of the common world. I was sitting, waiting for an interview, not really knowing what I was going to say in my head. I had no idea about what was going to happen next. And I was just staring straight ahead at the wall. Suddenly, I realized that the wall perfectly met the floor, precisely. It was just so obvious. At that moment, everything was good. The ghost gum's leaf is pale green, and the mare's tail 
is smoky white in the blue sky. At night, the nesting wagtail calls and the koala coughs, invisible in the branches. Everything is just as it is and this exactness we feel is the greatest of blessings. You wanna read this too? The mountains dancing. Awakened mind is large and has more than one mode of perception. There is also a topsy-turvy strain to enlightenment. It embraces contradictions quite as eagerly as Walt Whitman did. The core contradiction is between the forceful impression of emptiness, the feeling that there is nothing at all that has absolute existence and the equally forceful impression of the singularity and beauty of each thing. We see the waves are really the ocean, yet the waves persist in having shape and loveliness beyond this abstract spiritual truth. So as we open up, we will say things like, the mountains are dancing, and this discovery makes no distinction between great Annapurna and the small green mountains of Vermont. Zen teachers in some lineages will ask a student to make Mount Shasta dance, asking her to live the implications of what she has found, to demonstrate where the vast spirit becomes human. In the spirit's domain, the meanings of things are loosened. Up can be down and can be, sad can be happy. The Cubist painters brought this realization into art early in the 20th century, breaking apart the planes of the human face and torso and reassembling them in ways both surprising and convincing. Marcel Duchamp offered another version of this revelation with his ready-mades, taking a common object such as a white porcelain urinal and exhibiting it as a, as a work of art. Uh, muted. Everyone has her own style of dancing in the world in which the meanings are not utterly determined. A merchant of the Tang era, Pang by name, loaded his fortune and possessions into a boat, which he sank in the middle of a river, a performance piece whose subject was enlightenment. He did not simply give his things away because he did not want to burden others with the misfortune of wealth, he said. Still, he remained in the web of family and trade, traveling about with his wife and two children. Here's another story of their family style of awakening. Once Pang was selling baskets of bamboo. As he was coming down from a bridge, he tripped and fell. When his daughter, Ling Zhao, saw this, immediately she ran up and flung herself on the ground beside him. What are you doing, he cried. I'm helping, she said. Lucky no one was looking, said her father. That's a famous koan. Is it? Okay. <laughs> All this nonsense is theater, laughter, illustrating the vast isness of the world. But the play is also, as we see here, compassion. In its meaning of sharing suffering and empathy with the absurd. Years ago, during a retreat I taught in Honolulu, a loud brass band started up a couple of blocks away, perhaps at the university. This is not what people usually think of as good for contemplation, but a man dashed into an interview to say, the drum is playing inside my chest. I am the drum. He was not deranged. He knew the difference between hallucination and reality, but his view had altered and his eyes were shining. He had stumbled into the eccentric poetry of the spirit. Intimacy. 
When the 10,000 things advance and confirm the self, that is called enlightenment. <coughs> Dogen Kijan. Intimacy is a modest and, and tender name for the connection with the spirit attained after long, long wandering. It conveys some of the shock, greater than sexual, of being opened and revealed to the world while the world opens and displays itself inside one's own breast. Stories filled with images of meeting have come down to us <coughs> out of the mists of time and meeting continues to mark the opening of heart and mind today. A woman on pilgrimage to a Buddhist site in India found the conditions there chaotic. Yet through that loud impinging life, she discovered her connection with others. Here's her description of that moment. I experienced this union most vividly in Bodhgaya and alive and alive, but very crazy place where we were sitting in the midst of everything. I remember the call of a woman herding her cows outside the wall of the stupa, how bright and vivid it was. That one call contained everything and was everything. There was nothing else in the universe. Her call was my call. As I said more, it expanded. People were working in the fields and there really was a feeling that I was working in the fields. Enlightenment has been described as a wedding, a feast, an encounter with the teacher, recognizing your own face in, in an ancient mirror, opening a gate into a new world, a meeting with the ancient sages, the direct sight of God. This intimacy is not limited to the human realm. It links us with stone, leaf, ant, bird, rain, and star and with events as well as objects. The woman continued. There was a ransom then, and I had an immense joy. There was a rainstorm then, and I had an immense joy of being the rain and being the grass, enjoying the rain, not thinking, just being there in the room and also being the rainstorm. Everything was deep, was in a deep communication. And yet, usually we don't stop and listen. I looked out over the window and I was stunned by a red Bogan villa. Here is the voice of God, I thought, and we just go by it. At such a moment, whatever we see has its own dignity, carries its meanings within and speaks to us. We see <laughs> and are seen crows and dragonflies, wheat ears and outcrops of bare granite share our family name. When the winter, winter blows, it blows through us. The rain slants through our chests. There is no barrier between ourselves and what is happening. We are ourselves, the mountains and the birds. And the mountains and birds themselves <coughs> walk about with us and drive on the freeway. Intimacy involves recognition. The old Chinese teachers called it in a in, in the old Chinese teachers called it meeting your original face before your grandparents were born. In the sounds and the rain, we extend far beyond our bodies. We are linked in an indissoluble closeness with the planet, the stars, and each other. The universe is friend. Just a second, I want to see how many more. We have quite a bit more here. Okay. Do you want to keep going or you stop there? We could stop yeah. here. I, I, mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Uh, so uh, let's see. You know, I, I got a. Oh, there. 
but I'm going to write down uh, 137, 157. Okay, should we take 10 minutes now? I yeah. guess your, your friend's not, didn't He's come not yet. yet. No. Okay, so get ready, get set, go to 8.57. I mean, okay. to 8.07 okay. or 9.07. No, you're on the same time zone. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Cody. Yes. I'll read you my piece. So there, did you happen to go to inquiry? Have you, do you ever go to Flint's inquiry on Tuesdays? No, I've been wanting to get to it, but. Uh... You should go, they're, they're really amazing, but they're also recorded. So if you go to YouTube, you can. Yeah, you can... I have watched, I have watched them before. But the one from last week, um, he told two stories. And one of them was about uh, old man. Here, I'm going to read it to you. It's such a beautiful story. And then I'll read you my kind of take on it. Um, Once upon a time, there lived a man who had as a friend, a rich public servant. One day, the man called on his rich friend who entertained him with food and wine. He became completely inebriated and fell asleep. The rich friend, however, suddenly had to set out on a journey involving urgent public business. He wanted to give his friend a priceless jewel, which had the mystic power to fulfill any desire. But his friend was fast asleep. Finding no other alternative, he sewed the gem into the hem of his sleeping friend's robe. The man awoke to find his friend gone, totally unaware of the jewel his friend had given him. Before long, he allowed himself to sink into poverty, wandering through many countries and experiencing many hardships. After a long time, now reduced to sure want, he met his old friend. The rich man, surprised at his condition, told him about the the gift he had given him. And the man learned for the first time that he had possessed the priceless jewel all along. That's from the Lotus Sutra. Hmm. Are you there? You're kind of dark there. Yeah, I'm, I'm here. And so I wrote, the magical jewel was hidden in my coat. I felt awkward, but couldn't identify what was off why I was so crooked. A few times I felt it, but no sooner had that happened, it went back into hiding. It is also simple just to reach out a little bit more, just to reach and reach, and then something happens. Like someone coughs or the garbage truck comes, but I do know it is there and maybe on a rainy day, dot, dot, dot. So we have within us this jewel, that's, that's the story. I didn't do a drawing. You didn't, so, you didn't do a draw? No, not yet. But I did, I did do a drawing. I'll show you. Um, I just finished a drawing that I'm going to post. And here's the drawing. And it's a guy looking through a microscope. And the story is, he said only to believe logic and that spiritual stuff was a waste. I agree completely, except for his first two points. But he's going off to college and wants to be an MD psychiatrist. 
He thinks he can understand things, which is very optimistic. Even the best microscope, even with the best microscope, we only reveal mysteries. Hmm, this, I like that. So this was a student of, uh, a child of a student of mine from many years ago. And his son thinks he has it all handled. <laughs> okay, how about you? Any thoughts? No, I didn't write, I didn't write any, anything, but I did go back and uh, find a quote that I... Oh, good. From, uh, from Alan Watts that I, I, I've heard from him like a long time ago when I first got started. So he was basically talking about the universe and, and it, it kind of, this, uh, the topic, you know, discussion for the day, it, it brought me back there. So he, he said, uh, <clears throat> it is absolutely absurd to say we came into this world. We didn't, we came out of it. What do you think you are? Supposing this world is a tree, are you leaves on its branches? Or are you a bunch of birds that settled on a dead tree from somewhere else, surely? Everything we know about living organisms from that standpoint of the sciences shows us that we grow out of this world, that we, each one of us, are what you might call symptoms of that state of the universe as a whole. That's beautiful. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay. Should we quit? Oh, it's up to you. We can, yeah. We can. Uh, okay. Oh, you say you won't be there. You won't be there Thursday, right? Uh, probably not. Okay. Probably not. Uh, but Emily is going to uh, be there. Okay. Okay, take care. Thank All right, you. you too, Kim. Safe Bye. travels. Bye-bye.